So generally, I don't tell you the title, and I don't even decide on the title until, uh, until after the shear. Then I figure out what it was that I spoke about. But today, but today I, have, I have a title before we start, and the title is The Blame Game. And yeah, The Blame Game. And essentially, I, I, I decided that it would be wise to do a very old, tested shall we say, outlook on life and strategy, and that is blame the Jews for everything. I mean, and, and, and being that there weren't all that many Jews at the time, the leader of them was Yaakov, so therefore the, the proper thing will be to blame Yaakov for everything because, you know, after all, if you look at most of world history, we are responsible for most of the bad things that have taken place. And, uh, you know, we've poisoned the wells, we've created diseases, we've... Uh, I, I don't... The truth is, I'm not up to date on what we've done because I missed the last meeting of the elders of Zion. But, <laughs> but I'm sure that there's lots and lots of things that we are, that we are responsible for. So... And the reason I'm saying this is because when we look in Parsha. Vayishlach, and in truth it flows over a little bit over to Vayeshev as well, which is essentially what we're focusing on is the return of Yaakov to Eretz Yisrael, and a lot of things go bad, and so who's to blame for all the things that go bad? So obviously we should blame Yaakov. Why we should blame Yaakov? Well, the truth is I'm not completely um, convinced or understand. Just just one, uh, even though it's written on the paper, one public service announcement, and that is that today's shear is sponsored by Ziva and David Katz, in memory of Ziva's father, Henry Feld. So uh, he should have an Eloi Neshama, and uh, hopefully he won't be upset with me for blaming the Jews. By the time, by the time I get to the end, by the way, we're not going to stay on that. We're going we're gonna to find someone else to blame. So l- l- let's begin, and in the starting point at least, it's a little subtle, and the only reason it's subtle is because you need to have kept in mind previous episodes and to know what we're up to. And, but even if you read it carefully, you should be able to know. So where we start off is that Yaakov sends these messengers, these emissaries, maybe even Malachim. He sends, I mean, Yaakov knows about Malachim. And he sends them to Esav, and they come back with their ominous report. We, we, uh, we're coming back from your brother. You know, we went to the mission to your brother, and he's on the way to see you as well. And he has 400 people with him. Now, I don't want to stay on this, and, and I've said this before, but I like it, so I'm going to say it again. So let's keep in mind, the odds are quite strong that the, hundred peop- the 400 people over here are not part of the marching band. Meaning, this, this, this is not, you know, sort of like, like the Lovin approach. Yeah, if you would have told me, then I would have, you know, hired a band and we would have uh, made a party and so on and so forth. The truth is we don't believe Lovin that much. And uh, we also uh, are somewhat suspicious of Asav. Keep another thing in mind. Previously, we were told, you know, you have to keep in, you always have to, in Bereshit, keep in mind of the previous episodes. Previously, we were told about a world war which took place, and the world war was decided based upon Avraham's 318 soldiers, which means 400 soldiers is more than the amount of soldiers that won a war. And I know that in your mind, well, that must have been miraculous, but again, let's be honest about something. 
how big were the towns or how big were the cities at the time. You're not dealing with unbelievably big populations. And my point is, maybe, maybe, maybe it was completely miraculous when Avram was such a small amount, but you know Chazal go even further. It wasn't even the 318, it was just one, it was just Eliezer. And okay, but um, nonetheless... Let's just look at the shot. There were four, a world war, four cities against five cities, or four countries against five countries, if you will, but it's, re- it's really cities. And Avraham wins with, with those amounts of soldiers. And Esav now is coming to see Yaakov with more than that. So that's what's frightening. And if you want to look at Yaakov's extended family and everything that he has over here, it would seem to be that he has him outnumbered, what, what do you want to say? 10 to 1, 20 to 1, 40. I mean, it's... Uh, it, it, it does not look uh, look very look very good for Yaakov, and, and, and that's the problem. So Yaakov's response is one that I think all of us can understand. So what does he do? He divides up, and again, that part is of less interest to me, but it, it's actually an unbelievably defeatist attitude. And I love when Chazal tell us, "Oh, Yaakov prepared for war." He didn't prepare for war. He prepared for a massacre. There's a very big difference. When you say prepared for war, you mean you sharpen your bow and arrows and your knives or whatever it is, and you practice to get ready. This is not preparing for war, which means he prepared for, for, for war to be on the wrong side of the war when you're about to be attacked, because that's the strategy that he takes over here. Let's divide up, because maybe, as he says, im and that's unbelievable defeatist, that if one side gets massacred, then maybe, maybe the other side will escape. So that's, that's preparation for war. That's a little, uh, a little sad. And, and I, I will say that that very much represents the Jewish attitude, for the most part, during our diaspora. The, one of the biggest miracles of modern times, and this is one of the things that Rabbi Soloveitchik said, in his uh, famous uh, talk, is that Jewish blood is no longer, uh, yeah, hefker, right? And, there, and therefore, if somebody spills Jewish blood in any place in the world, they have to be at least a little concerned that, uh, that Israeli forces will come. And more locally, if Israel's attacked, then they are going to respond. And sometimes they're going to be preemptive in their responses, which people don't like at all. People prefer Jews who are victims because it's better to build monuments to victims than it is to uh, cope with our being able to defend ourselves. It's, it's something which the, the world has uh, not been able to process. It's, uh, we are in the wrong role, and, and it's one of the reasons why there is so much hatred. But then Yaakov does what, I, what we need to focus on. Vayom Yaakov, Elohei Avraham. The God who is said, my God of Avram, God of Yitzchak, the God who has said to me, go back and everything's going to be good. And you can go backwards now and take a look how many times God has expressed this to Avram, but it's more than once, that don't worry, I have your back. Don't worry, go back. Everything's okay. Which, of course, takes us back, if you want to understand our, Yaakov's mindset. His mindset is such that when he left, he left... Again, as we've seen before, on two separate missions, which were one and the same. But he was sent by his mother, and he was sent by his father. He was sent by his mother because his brother wants to kill him, and he was sent by his father, go and find yourself a wife. 
Now, theoretically, in terms of the father, his father's mission, he completed that a long time ago, and he should have come home, and he should have come back. And maybe when we learn that midrash that Yaakov is afraid because he didn't honor his father, he's honoring his mother the whole time that he's there, but he's not honoring his father because his father said, get married and come back. And now, why hasn't he come back? On the other hand, his mother said, go there, and when your brother comes down, then I'm gonna, I'll send for you. And as far as we know, Rivka has never sent for him. Now, if Rivka has never sent for him, then the obvious conclusion is one out of two. Either she has passed away by this point, and Yitzchak, sorry, and uh, Asav is all you know, cuddly and friendly and has gotten past all of this, years of therapy and whatever, he's uh, been able to learn how to cope. Or, at, or the other possibility is that she never sent a message because Esav is still planning to kill him. So the, the, the news now that Esav is coming towards him, which is also frightening for another reason, it means that Esav has been keeping tabs on him. It means that, I mean, ju- just think about that for a second. It means that Esav has been having spies. It's not just the 400 people that he has over here who may all be mercenaries. It means he's been paying other people off. Let me know when, the, when, when there's movement. Let me know when he moves out of that town. Let me know when he starts traveling, which means if he's on the way with 400 people, so Yaakov pretty much now knows how things are. He knows that his mother had never sent the message for a very simple reason, and that is that Esav is still you know, hell-bent on taking vengeance against him, and he turns to God and he prays. Now, there's something about the prayer that either you can love or you can hate. Now, most of you, I don't know, you'll tell me now, because I'm going I'm to contrast it with something, and then you'll tell me, oh, that's really good, or this is really bad. So the contrast is actually with Avraham on the way to the Akedah. A lot of people raise this problem. Why doesn't Avraham pray? By the way, this would be a perfect kind of prayer. Turn to God. God, how can you do this to me? Didn't you say to me? That's what Yaakov says. He says, how can you do this? Because didn't you know you say to me? So now you decide, is this actually an expression of the, the pathos going on in Yaakov's life? By the way, I'm not saying that it's either one or the other, or is there something pathetic about this? Because God promised. What's your problem? God said, I got your back. God says, everything okay. So therefore, want, therefore, this prayer is actually a little bit disturbing. Although you can all tell me that, listen, what does it make a difference? If somebody feels scared, if somebody feels angst, so you turn to God in prayer. That, that, that's a positive mitzvah for us when we are in need to, to pray. So, so of course he does and of course he should. But I'm just pointing out is that here is the prayer that Avram never utters. And now you just have to decide, did you like it or, you, or did you prefer perhaps the, the silent Avram, the man of faith? If we'll, I mean, old rabbis who went to YU, on their smich in the back it says, if you ever mention the Akedah, you need to mention Kierkegaard. You're not allowed to mention it without it. So Avra, Avraham is the, 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 the knight of faith and goes up without saying anything, without protesting, without praying, and, and maybe, maybe there's something very positive about that. So I'm just saying is that there's two sides to that. On the one hand, he prays for stone. Why doesn't he pray for his own kid? And over here, Yaakov does pray so, and then we say, hold it, was that really good? Is that an indication of a lack of faith? Or is that something which is completely completely human and, and completely understandable? I'll, I'll add in, and, and, and again, he, he goes on and, and he does ask God that same contradiction that Avram could have. Hatsilenim yadachim yadesav, ki yareinu chiotopenyavova vihikani eim albanim, please save me from my brother, save me from Esav. Because I'm afraid he's going to kill mothers and children. Va'ata amarta, and here's the contradiction. But you said, "Hey, tivati vimach." 
If you said that, that, that the descendants will be so numerous that they won't be able to be counted. So I'll say it again. Avram could have said this same prayer and said, how could you tell me to kill Yitzchak? And I'll, I'll, I'll just ask you, you don't have to answer me, that would you have preferred that Avram say that prayer? Or maybe the fact that he didn't say that prayer is something which we completely understand. And yes, I understand the human element of this, but nonetheless... As we start off over here, the first thing that I want to note is that Avraham comes in, sorry, that Yaakov comes and returns to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, to use a term from the generation of most of you over here, things were not completely peachy, which means he runs into difficulty. He runs into a problem. And the problem is Esav, and he's afraid he's going to die. Now, this is actually going to start a theme which is going to continue in various ways, it's going to come up, appear, where Yaakov's life is not going to be this easy, simple life. I mean, to a very great extent, and maybe we'll come back to this towards the end, Yaakov's life seems so much to be the authentic Jewish experience, both in terms of his, uh, of his years in the diaspora and the difficulty that he has, the success that he has, the threat of assimilation, which is really what Lavan is doing, stay here, you're, we're one, your kids are my kids, and let's you know all stay, to coming back to the land and then trying to live over here with great obstacles, leaving again, you know, just think of the Jewish people coming and then leaving again, and then at the end at least saying, listen, if I can't live in Israel, at least bury me in Israel. I'm just saying that there's so much about Yaakov which really captures the Jewish experience over millennia. Not, 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 not just, it's not just like one day, one month. When Yaakov is Yisrael. Again, when his name is shaved, Yaakov is Yisrael in, in so many ways. Somehow, disasters averted. How? I have no idea. My working assumption is, I mean, I, I, get, I get crazier about this each time that I, that I think about it and I say it. I finally have come to the conclusion, I've absolutely convinced myself, which is very bad, because after I convince myself, I can convince other people also. But I've ab- absolutely convinced myself that the night before the meeting, I mean, Esav's there with 400 people, and Yaakov wrestles with the Saroshel Esav, he, he wrestles with the angel of Esav. I completely believe the night before Esav was wrestling with the Saroshel Yaakov, well, that's why I get paid the big bucks. Of course you never thought of it. <laughs> that, as I said, I convinced myself of this, therefore I already got him. That, uh, that, that, that night before, and, and the reason to say this is actually so, so beautifully simple, is first of all, keep in mind they're twins, and they have parallel experiences, even though they could be opposites. Um, but on top of that, it, it, there's, we already have seen the theme that Paro gets warned by God, don't do anything to, right? Avimelech gets warned, Lovin gets warned. We find that God says, I'm going to protect you. God says everything's going to be okay. So it's obvious to me that God has come in and protected him. So now the only question is, is it the night before, like Avimelech, right, like Lavan? It's the same thing. Now, now the only thing which I've added to it, which is why it sounded a little bit better, 
is that if Yaakov is struggling with the Saro Shalesov, so then I think Chazal or the Torah even gives us enough hint to realize that Esav has been struggling with the Saro Yaakov, and he loses, and therefore comes the morning, and he hears, okay, I, I've been warned, I have to make friends, I can't do anything, I have no permission to hurt him at all. Essentially, and this should bother some of you, essentially God has moved in and micromanaged, and God has perhaps taken away free will, and maybe that bothers you, maybe it doesn't. I mean, the great theological issues in the world, if we don't have free will, what's the meaning? Well, I'll tell you. If he doesn't have free will, you know what the implication is, then he doesn't get reward because it wasn't of his own volition that he decided not to kill Yaakov. God said, you can't do it. And, and God says, I'm going to turn you into a teddy bear. And you're going to go and, you give him, and you're going to give him a bear hug and you're going to kiss him and you're going to love him and so on. And, and just imagine the, the ace of who wants to, you know, he wants to rip his heart out and suddenly he finds himself, you know, loving and kissing and how are you doing, Yaakov, my brother? But as I said, the implication of, of my saying, it's one of two choices. Either ace of is completely out of character. Or by the way, uh, maybe I'll say it a little differently. For, first possibility, either he's out of character or, either, or we misunderstood his character. It's also a possibility. Or the other thing is, no, it's just that God is uh, micromanaged, and the implication of micromanaging is one that of reward and punishment now has to be suspended. So therefore, even when Asaph is nice, he doesn't get rewarded for it because it wasn't of his volition that he made those decisions. So... I don't know, have I convinced any of you about the same thing, that, that, that the night before uh, Esau is struggling as well and therefore he lost his free will and God said to him? Because that's the other side of the coin of what God says to, uh, to Yaakov. Everything's going to be okay. Because then if Yaakov had more chutzpah, he'd say, what do you mean, don't you know Esau? And God says, don't you know me? I mean, I, 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 I can do this. So as I said, that, that's where my imagination has, uh, has taken me and I'm... Either I'm happy or I'm sorry to include you in my uh, crazy world. What's the matter, Stu? Not in the Chumash. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but exactly. What, what is the Medrash? I know, I know. So what is the Medrash doing? The Medrash is saying, no, Esav didn't change at all. And Esav won. But, but, but you really have to be a contortionist. I'm sorry. You need to be a contortionist. Because it doesn't say he comes over in anger. He comes over and he hugs him and he kisses him. And, so, and, and, and I, I know, you know, but it doesn't say that. And by the way, if you're really going to go there, then go and Google afterwards, Esav is a vampire. Because he's all red and he's blood. He's biting his neck because he's a vampire. So if you're really going to go there, why are you stopping there? Go, fu- go full... Go full-fledged vampire on us over here and don't stop. And, don't stop. and, by, and by the way, if you're already going to go crazy, there's one of the Rishonim, one of the Baliatosfos, claims that when uh, Binyamin is born, Binyamin was a werewolf. Why? Because it says, Binyamin ze'ev yitrof. And therefore, how did Rachel die? Rachel died because she gave birth to a werewolf who went and he killed her. Now, if you like that, then you're disturbed. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I know I said, I, I wrote that in two of my books. Okay. Forget one of my books. Yeah, if we're going to go back there, I wrote, the, I, wrote this, I wrote this in Explorations in 2001, and, I, and, I, and it was reworked 
in uh, 2020 or so, 2020, 2021, and explorations expanded, where I reworked it. But if I rework the essay, I'm going to add this into it as well, because and, and, I do believe that to be true. I believe that what Yaakov sees in himself, which is part of what the struggle is the night before, is that he sees, he, he sees himself looking so very ace of like. But that's the struggle with the Saro Shalesov. That's exactly what Chazal means. He's struggling with Saro because he's not sure exactly who he is. And when Esav sees this, he sees the same thing that Yaakov had seen, and therefore he finds him very attractive at this point. But again, I'm going to say, if God is telling him don't do anything, so how does God do that? One of the ways he's going to be doing it is, is by, what we'll say is, intimidation derech and saying, no, don't do anything, because look how much he is like you. Again, the, that idea gets planted, but I do believe that when God is saying to Yaakov, everything's okay, so how can God say that? Because of course God can say that, because God is God, but God is saying that because... He's actually controlling the situation. We're good. We're good. So when skipping the whole Yaakov ace of excitement, we go to source two. Vayavo Yaakov Shalem Irshchem. Yaakov comes Shalem, he's whole. Yaakov is Tam Vishalem, Ishtam and Shalem. By the way, the various rabbis, there's more than one, who were called Rabbeinu Tam in the Middle Ages, all their names were Yaakov. Yaakov Ishtam. So Rabbeinu Tam, his father did not call him Tam or his brother Harry. His, he called him Yaakov. But Yaakov, they would, they would refer to that as Yaakov Ishtam. So, Vayavo Yaakov Shalem Ir Shechem. So Yaakov comes to hold, he comes to a place called Shechem. Now the truth is, if you are sensitive both to Tanakh, on the one hand, or Chazal, on the other hand, or both, then there should be in the background right now be some ominous music playing because we're coming to Shechem. And Shechem is a bad place. Asher be'eretz kena'an bevo mipadan aram v'yichan et p'nei ha'ir. He settles over there. V'yiken et chelkat ha'sadeh shenatashem o'alo miyad b'nei chamor avi Shechem b'meyaksita. And what he does is he makes a purchase of the land, or part of the land in Shechem, from, it's also interesting, Miyad B'nei Chamor Avi Shechem. So these people are actually going to become stars in the following chapter. So first realize that there's some interaction. What is the interaction? How does it begin? Interaction begins that we make them wealthy. How do we make them wealthy? Because we buy some property from them. They, they just made a real estate killing, and now they should have a lot of money, they should have a lot of property, and they should be very happy. And um, also, of course, everybody notes that so far we've purchased two places of land, right? Avraham has purchased land in Hebron, and Yaakov has purchased land in Shechem, so therefore anybody with biblical sensitivity should realize that, of course, through history, everybody's acknowledged the Jewish ownership of these places, and there's never been any contention in either of those places, or, or, or perhaps quite the opposite, which is also quite interesting. And Vayitzev Shamizbeach, and Yaakov builds an altar, Vayikralo Kel Eloke Yisrael. And he calls out to the God, the God of Israel. Okay. And the use of Israel is also interesting at this particular juncture. Perak Lamed Dalid is the whole story of, uh, of Dina. Vatetze Dina bat Leah, Asheel Dali Yaakov, the rope of Nota Aretz. Dina goes out. 
Okay, you can you can say she's got lots and lots of brothers, and uh, she goes and it says Lerot ben Notaharetz. She goes looking for uh, friends. Vayara toshchem ben Chamor hachivi nesi haaretz viyikachotov viyishkavotov vayanea. And Shechem, the son of Chamor, sees her, and he is a man who is very prestigious. His father's prestigious. He takes her, which actually sounds like an act of violence. We can dis- we could debate that. Vayishkavota and he has relations with her, Vaya'aneha is a value judgment, and he abuses her, which means whether it's an act of rape or not, I'm, I'm very comfortable if somebody wants to translate this as rape. The word is not used. It didn't have to be used, but it does say Vaya'aneha. There, there is a, abuse going on over here. So the, so the abuse should make it uh, very clear. Um, part of what's strange A yatsanit. Yeah. Yeah. So at least you like the way that I read it, because I read what it said. And I was very, right, I read what the word said and agreed that when you read it like that, there should be nothing to blame. And not only is she blamed, her mother is blamed, and Yaakov is blamed. And as I said, you came in slightly late, but I said today's title will be the blame game. So, so, that, so what you asked is perfect. I mean, that, that's exactly going to be part of our problem over here. But uh, let, let, let's take a look now a, a little bit more about what happens. Pasuk Gimel is actually strange. And he was in love with her. By the way, generally, when there are situations of rape, then it would not turn into a love affair. I'm just saying is that, that, that that's my hesitation. Abuse, yes, many people could be in abu- abusive relationships. This is certainly abusive relationship, for, and I'm going to say for many reasons, but, excuse me? Because you're an innocent person. Yeah, Agreed. agreed. He loved her. And by the way, love has not been used all that many times. So, there's almost, you know, going back to Adam and Eve and so on, there's something even romantic the way that it's being described here, even though maybe men, many of us are uncomfortable with it, but that's actually what it says. And, and he tried to woo her, he tried to romance her, he's sending her poetry, he's playing violin by her window. I mean, all that's there in the second verse, of course knowing that it's after abuse had taken place, which means if I had to, actually I'll say this differently, if I were to teach this, and, and I'm no longer comfortable teaching this with young people, I'm, I'm just not. Um, just too many, too many things. I'm not comfortable teaching it anymore. I was 20 years ago, but I would I would probably use this more within the realm of what one would call today date rape, more than it would be a stranger who one doesn't know. And sometimes within a relationship, something can happen where one is interested in more than the other is interested in, and things escalate out of control. And over here, the young, innocent Dina is essentially out of her league with this person who's much likely much older, as we can hear between the lines as we read on. But over here, it's something where, as far as he's concerned, everything is good and everything is fine, and, and maybe he's just an abusive personality. Maybe that's actually a part, a, a, a part of it. And, Dina's, and Dina is silent, which is why somebody has to make up a book and claim the whole Dina perspective on all of this. But, no, but, no, but nonetheless, 
there is something over here which it's romance and it's love, but it comes after abuse, and that troubles us greatly because it's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, had things been the other way around, that he met her and he loved her and he and he spoke to her and he wanted to marry her, and then and and the abuse was missing, so then we would be looking at this a little bit differently. That's what bothers me. That's what bothers me. So it's that, that's what I'm saying. That it sounds very much like there's a there's an, there's an age discrepancy over here between the two. V'yakov shama. Listen very carefully what he hears. V'yakov shama kitime edina bito. Yaakov heard that his daughter was violated. And Yaakov was silent until his sons came. That's something which bothers the commentaries. Why was he silent? What did he want to say? Why didn't he say anything? Yaakov's silence is interesting, but it's a silence of pain. This is not the silence of... Uh, of th- th- this is... It's also a, a Jewish experience. You know, the... the it's not Ban Shishvaig, if you're familiar with parrots. It's, it, it, it's the silence of pain, because maybe, maybe he feels, I don't have any recourse. And come, the two fathers, let's have a talk. And they were very upset. And, but listen to what they hear. An outrage has taken place among the Jewish people. And it's fascinating because this is one of the first times that Yisrael is used in that way. Although I noted at the very end that Yaakov built an altar, El Eloke Yisrael, which means there is this... The, the question actually is, do I look at this episode as a personal family story that took place between two families, or is this something which is taking place between two nations? The brothers hear it on a national level, and, and the father hears it on a personal level. The father, it's his daughter, and over here, it's not their sister. It doesn't say their sister yet, but rather it says, Nebelah, right, took place in Yisrael. And by the way, I do want to ask a question. Who was Dina supposed to marry? And, and by the way, I, I understand, I understand, okay, good, 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 good. I understand the problem. The problem over here, it's one of abuse, perhaps rape, but I'm just asking the other question, the other way around, who is she supposed to marry? And for that matter, I can ask, extend the question and ask, and who are any of the children of Yaakov supposed to marry? See, there are these midrashim that will take us, I'm going to say it, very far from most likely what actually happened. At the end of the story, for example, we're going to be told by one of the Midrashim that she doesn't want to leave the house. She's in Shechem's house. She doesn't want to leave. And Shimon and Levi said, no, you have to come. You have to, you know, here. They, they, they're, and she goes, I'm only, and she says to Shimon, I'll only go if you marry me because no one's ever going to marry me. And Shimon says, sure. Well, there's only one problem to the story. They're full brother and sister. And nonetheless, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll marry you. They're like, what are you talking about? I mean, essentially, we're, t- we're going back to Adam and Eve and they have a couple kids. 
and presumably they have daughters, otherwise the human race would have stopped a long time before that. So essentially we're saying, well, it's like there are no other people on, you know, on this earth. This is the only one that I can possibly marriage and that, marry, and that's a little bit strange. Of course, there really should have been other candidates. And Chazal play with this a little bit. So some of you know the Midrashim that say that every one of the tribes had a twin sister, they married their twin sister. And some of you should say, well, like, what are you talking about? Or for that matter, I mean, the, 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 the great, great Midrash which makes a, 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 a meeting and a confederacy of rejected children is that she ends up, ha- she ends up, getting, right, she ends up getting pregnant and she ends up having a child and the child is put up for adoption and she ends up in Egypt and that's us not. So you say, hold it, what kind of contortion was that in order to make sure that Yosef married the right the right girl. I'm not even going to go to the Arizal now explaining exactly why, why if you look then at, 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 the, at the line over here, why half of Menashe couldn't come into Israel. Why? Because Yosef is pure, right? Her mother Dina is, right? Okay. But her father is Shechem, so therefore, therefore what you have is part of the tribe is coming from this unholy place and has to stay outside of Israel. And by the way, the Arizal will say the same thing about Reuven. Reuven has to stay outside of Israel because uh, when Yaakov was intimate with Leah, he thought he was with Rachel, so his thoughts weren't pure. There's a lack of Kedusha, so and, that, and I'll say along the lines of this is, this is all in my book, Echoes of Eden, if you want. You can read at the end of uh, Sefer Bamidbar. I have an essay on this. But it becomes spiritual genetics in, in terms of uh, analyzing some of this. But again, look what Chazal did. Chazal are, are working so hard to make sure that all the children of Yaakov married the right person, unless, of course, we're aware of the times that they don't, like Yehuda is, is marrying a local girl, which really leads you to the question, so if Yehuda did, so what about the others? So... I'll just say it again. Chazal are working very hard, and we have to work hard because we are 40 minutes in and we're by the third source. <laughs> so, Ve'idaber chamor itam lemar, and now he speaks to them. Yaakov's not talking. Shechem b'ni chashka nafsho b'vitchem t'nu na ota lo le'isha. See, he actually calls, he's talking to them, and he says, your daughter, which could just be a turn of phrase, and he wants to marry her. And then he says, you know, you're gonna, you'll marry our daughters, we'll marry your daughters, which essentially is going to solve the problem. Okay, you guys need to find wives, we have daughters here, you have sons, let's, let's solve this. And we'll live in one land, and we'll do business together, and, and then keep in mind, this is after they've already done some business together. Anything you say, I'm going to do. Right? Tell me how much money. And by the way, he's got a lot of money. Why does he have a lot of money? Because we just paid him for real estate. He just made money on a real estate deal. Whose money does he have? He has Yaakov's money, which, which is, again, I just want you to keep in mind because there, there is something, I don't want to say amusing about that, but certainly interesting. So you know, notice how she just now went from a yalda to nara. She grew she grew up quick. Now Yaakov's there and he's still quiet and his children speak. And over here it doesn't say which children, which which bnei Yaakov. 
And but they speak b'mirma. Now the word mirma is the word that should catch our interest, because that's the that's the important word here. right? Asher achotam. That's so interesting because it says they spoke b'mirma v'yidaberu asher et dina achotam. So this sounds very much as if we have an the Torah is giving us an editorial. They are speaking birmirma. Birmirma means with deception. They're speaking with deception. We'll see another translation in a moment. Why? <laughs> For the obvious reason, it explains why. Why? Which means at face value, because this is somebody who deserves to be spoken with, with deception. So what is the deception? And they say, listen, you know, this whole situation here, which has been created, has a technical problem. And that is, you want to join, you want to live, you want to do things together. Going back to Avram, we have a commandment, and that commandment is Brit Milah. And uh, if you want to marry her, you got to go and uh, and do a Brit Milah. Because somebody who is uncircumcised is something which is unacceptable to us. And, and by the way, I hear echoes over here of the conversation between Avimelech and, uh, and uh, Avraham, when he says, how can you do this to us? I mean, I almost slept with, later on, Avimelech and Yitzchak, I almost slept with a married woman, and we don't do things like that, which means essentially what he's saying is that each culture has the things which are taboo for them, and this is something which is uh, unacceptable uh, for us. I'm going to start selling my classes as sleep aids. <laughs> they, they, they speak b'mirma, continue, and they say... If you do this, it's great. You're going to have to go and do circumcision for everybody. Now, what exactly do they expect to happen? We'll just you know, read a little bit more. And then they say, if you do this, just look where it's bolded. And then we can become one people. right? You, you want to join us? So join us. This is, this is the price. But if not, if not, then we're taking our daughter. And notice now the brothers speak of Dina as their daughter, because he actually they were actually responding to the way that he had said it. They liked it, and they uh, they go back to the to the people of the city, and they say, Remember, Yaakov is shalem. These people are good. They're honest people. We're going to take their daughters. They're going to take our. They'll take our daughters. But then he continues to say, and everything they own will end up being ours. Which should would halolanu heim? Everything they own will soon be ours. So essentially, again, keep in mind the real estate deal, which had already taken place, which is the starting point, which is why they have money now to be offering a lot of money for the daughter. So now they're saying, listen, this is going to be a good deal. We're going to marry into this family, and we're going to end up taking everything of theirs, which means, yeah, okay, maybe we have to go through minor cosmetic surgery, but uh, we're, we're willing to do this. On the third day, when they were in great pain, the Yechushnei they go in and kill everybody. So I just want to go back a second. What was the mirma? But before that, let's note something else. The end of this section is that they kill everybody and they end up bringing her back home. Yes, that's there. Am I imagining that? Yes. 
And they took Dina and they brought her back home. Towards the end, it says, Yaakov is incredibly upset. How can you do such a thing to me? You know, all the nations, local nations are going to be upset and they're going to destroy all of us, which means, again, Yaakov is back where he was by the beginning of the parsha. We are under threat. We are all going to be killed. And their response is, Vayomru hachazonaya setachotenu. You want to turn our sister into a prostitute. Now, it is stressed over here that, over, that they are using the word sister. They are feeling, even though they said before in the very beginning that an outrage took place in Israel, now they go over, but this is our sister. And, and let's also be honest. They were willing to go to war to protect their sister. There is something here that you need to... And Yaakov doesn't respond. There is reason to believe that Yaakov responds to Shimon and Levi much later on his deathbed in Pashat Vayichi, but over here he doesn't respond. And it's also interesting because Yaakov barely speaks in the whole chapter. And the only thing that he asks, you know, how can you do this to me? So Yaakov is feeling very vulnerable. And again, we have to ask what well, God said, everything's going to be okay. So the, the, all the questions I asked in the beginning of the parasha come back again over here, but I do have a suspicion about Yaakov's lack of response when they say, but that's our sister. And I think that they very well understood that that is a weak point for Yaakov. But, but before I explain this properly, just read the next Pasuk. I made it the next source, but I do want you to know it's the next Pasuk. Vayomer Elohim El Yaakov, again, Vayomer Elohim El Yaakov, kum alei Beit El, go to this place called Beit El, v'shev sham, and I want you to be there a bit, v'aseisham izbeach l'kel hanira elecha b'varchacham b'pnei Esav achicha, the God who appeared to you when you ran away from Esav, your brother. It's interesting to me whenever God has to, or even generally in the narratives, that we have to emphasize or state the relationships. If you didn't say Achicha over here, would we have known who Esav was? Yes, we would have known. So therefore, the additional information, which is not coming to teach us anything, must be there for emphasis. And therefore, when I'm looking at these now, those two verses, one after the other, versus, on the other hand, when you ran away from Esav Achicha. And now I can explain to you the weakness in uh, Yaakov's life or, or, or the weakness that he has, which will explain his behavior in certain cases, is that the tragedy of Yaakov's life was having a brother who can never really be a brother for him and having a brother that they can never live together really or never be the same, that there is always going to be this separation. And as bizarre as it may sound, as as crazy as it may be, I, I truly believe that when Yaakov woke up in the morning and came to this realization, that's Leah, and what he should have done, again, I've said this many times, what he should have done is said, these people are crazy, and ran away from there, and left there, you know, you, you switch the bride is not acceptable behavior. Excuse me. There's certain things where you've overstepped the line. Uh, you know, serving mock liver is reason to leave, right? Instead of chop liver, <laughs> right? There, 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 right? There, there, there are reasons to. <laughs> there, 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 there are, yeah, watered down whiskey. There, there, or even worse, I know somebody who who puts expense, puts cheap whiskey in expensive bottles 
He says, people don't know the difference. I mean, there are reasons that you leave, right? There's absolutely reasons. There are reasons that you leave. But why doesn't, ya- why doesn't Yaakov leave? Apparently, Yaakov doesn't leave because he saw something which he found so attractive. And that is the two sisters care so much about one another that they're willing to conspire and, and, and do craziness. But that's because they care about one another. And that caring of the two sisters tells us so much about Yaakov. Because everything that's going to take place as you move on in the story, Yaakov doesn't do what, he, what happens before. He never chases away any of his kids, even though they may well have deserved it. I mean, again, just line up the Ten Commandments, and it's not a nice thing to say. I want you to consider how many of the Ten Commandments Yaakov's sons broke. Okay? They, were, they were aiming for murder, but they settled for kidnapping. You have some, uh, some adultery, incest, a couple of them over here. And, and Yaakov, you know, he hears what happens, Reuven and Bilha, right? that's in this parsha, and, uh, and, and Yaakov doesn't do anything. And, but, and rather the opposite. What does it say right afterwards? Yaakov has 12 kids. Yaakov has 12 sons. Which means, no, he's not willing to, to, to let this fall apart. That Yaakov is doing anything and everything to keep everyone together. And when they say those words... But it's our sister. How could we not protect our sister? Uh, Yaakov can't say anything, because they're going to say it again. For him, that, that's his... Because uh, he gets it. He knows it. And, and it's almost like, but it's crazy. You guys just did genocide. You wiped out a city. But it's our sister. How could we do that? So I'm saying, I, I would understand Yaakov's silence, at least at this point, on that level, because there's something over here which is so deeply important to who Yaakov is and listen, if we're not going to take care of one another, then nobody else will. And, and, and Yaakov understands that so well. And therefore, Yaakov has a crazy life, and the crazy life is the, is the, is the whole Rachel and Leah complexity. As I, as I said in some class last week, I can't keep track of what I said where. I said if Yaakov had Facebook, then his status would have been complicated, right? <laughs> it's, right? It's always complicated. Who are you dating? Who are you married? Don't ask. It's, it's, it's complicated. Right? What day of the week is it? I mean, that, 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 that's really what it, what it comes out to. But once you understand this about Yaakov, then you understand so many other things and so many other episodes because the family is going to stay together. And I, by the way, I do believe that that is something that Yaakov takes from Yitzchak. And, and, and I believe that Yitzchak works very hard to cause a reconciliation between him and Yishmael. And that's why he goes to Be'er L'chairu'i. And he's the one who, Chazal say, brings back Hagar because the family broke up when he was born. And he says that's not the way it's supposed to be. Families have to be together. And, and by the way, there's such an important lesson and everybody can feel guilty and take it wherever they want. How many of us let there be little fights which then become big fights and sometimes you don't even remember how the fight started and just take that lesson from Yaakov. He would not let a family fall apart. He would not, and he had good reason to. He had very good reason to, multiple times, and he would not let that happen, because ultimately we are a people, we are a family, and if we forget we're a family, then what, what actually do we have? So now trying to cover everything else that I wanted to say today. Yeah. It's, it's pragmatic. It's pragmatic, correct. It's pragmatic, much more than value-driven. That, 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 that's what it sounds like, and I, and I agree. Let me now 
get to a couple of things involved in all of this. First of all, most likely, and, and I'm not reading everything inside, but we'll, we'll talk it out and hopefully understand it. Most, Yaakov was there when the brothers spoke by Mirma. I, I, I want to note something about that, and maybe some of you caught it before. If you look in source number eight, when Yaakov went and took the blessing from Esav, or from Yitzchak, as you were, in source eight, Vayomer ba'achicha bimirma. Rashi says, Birmirma bichachma. That's what Rashi says there in Toldot. Over here as well, Birmirma bichachma. And it's, it's, it's the Targum, it's uncle, it's that these are parallel situations, which then you have to ask yourself, to what extent is the, is, are the brothers being deceptive and being sly? How much of it is coming from Yaakov? And by the way, if it does come from Yaakov, and I believe it does, it comes from Yaakov. Where did Yaakov get it from? Yaakov got it from Rivka. And where does Rivka get it from? Well, she's got a brother like Lavan, which means, which means this is a kind of behavior which has been there. But once again, what I'm pointing at then is that, so who's to blame? So I can say Yaakov's to blame, because Yaakov has a certain type of behavior. And by the way, his mother's also acted with deception. So, or if you want wisdom, which is very interesting that Mirma, which is deception, is being is being translated over here as as something which is which is wisdom. On the other hand, again going back to who are we going to blame over here, we have the wonderful midrash in source number five, which we're going to skip because we can read it much shorter in source number six where Rashi cites it, and that is when it says that when Yaakov is in front of Esav with his eleven children. The only thing is he has twelve children at that point. So, uh, so maybe it was an ultra-orthodox uh, magazine, so you cover the faces of the women, so therefore, therefore Dina didn't exist. But it, it, over here it says, V'dina heichen haita. And where was Dina? Natna b'teva. So she was in the closet. No, that does not sound right. She was in a box, is what it says. V'na'al b'panea shelo yitain ba'esav enav. And she was hid, and she was hidden away so that Esav would not look. So that's an unbelievable Rashi. Saying, so who's to blame for all of this? So I just showed you one in terms of Mirma, but that was the strategy to get out of the situation. But over here, Chazal saying, okay, Rashi's quoting the Midrash, how does he, they get into the situation? Well, who did you want Dina to marry? Again, I'm going to say, who did you want her to marry? There was actually a good candidate. Either Asaph, and you can go even further, maybe even one of Asaph's kids. But, but notice what the attack is. The attack over here, actually, I'm going a little beneath the surface. You didn't care enough about your brother. Again, just notice that, that contrast. They care so much about their sister, which is you know, why they behave the way they do, but why didn't you care about your brother? Maybe your brother could have returned. Now, the response to Rashi, sorry, the response to Rashi is, but excuse me, I'm, I've been operating my whole life based upon the prophecy which my mother received before we were even born, and that prophecy is that they're not going to work together. It's just not going to work, and you're two different nations. And this idea that he's going to come and join, it's just not going to work but nonetheless, that doesn't tell you don't try. So I'm saying it's a very interesting comment, but of course the blame over here is being placed squarely on Yaakov, which is so interesting because, again, or if you prefer the, the source that you quoted before, well, Dina went out, why was she going out? Which is typically uh, blaming the victim, which is, you know, shall we say, it's at least not politically correct, but I think we understand it's much, it's much more than that. Because the way that it says, she goes to sleep, but not to Aretz. 
So, so what? Ex- what well, we can only do real estate with them, but but there can't be any other uh, meeting. So, as, as I said, it, it's not so simple. The parts of the midrash in source five that I skipped, you should also pay attention to, because it it talks again. It, there's a, there's a broader blaming of the victim, but I do want to point at a couple of more things. One is in case you thought I made up this connection with Mirma, which I did. But whenever you see something which is so obvious, so you look around and you find somebody who said it. So in source number 10, it actually says, But maybe you say, hold it, there's really something wrong over here. What they did was right. But, but I do want to pause for a moment because we need exactly to understand what it is that was right and what the Midrash is supporting and what's not supporting. Because we can break this up in a couple of ways. One, what did they actually say? They said if you want to intermarry, well, we don't intermarry. So therefore the only way we can do this is we become one people. Again, Jewish nation now will become, include the people of Shechem. They fully expected, and remember, all, all the brothers are speaking, they most likely fully expected to say, you have to do circumcision, and the people of Shechem say, are you out of your mind? <laughs> are you people crazy? And to turn around and walk away, which means, what do you do when you don't want to do anything? <laughs> then you ask a higher price than you think you're going to get. And, right? You don't want to sell. So what do you do? So you say, give me four times the amount. And, and then suddenly, for okay, for that I'll sell. I mean, that, that's what happens. When you don't want to, then you just raise the price. So they probably thought that the price over here was so steep that there's no way it's going to happen. So therefore, yeah, your whole, your whole city has to be circumcised if you want to marry one girl. I mean, that's insanity. So that, that's b'chokhmah. In order, in order to create a situation that's going to be a deal breaker. Who thought that these people are so crazy they're going to go home and say, guess what, everybody, mazel tov. You know, <laughs> order the bagels and locks. We're having like a, a huge... We're having a huge bris party over here today, and uh, and and it's and it's at that point. So still, still, Yaakov should have been completely. You look in the Ramban for some of this. Yaakov should have been then completely aware. Okay, they went and circumcised, but all that he expected them to do was these people just all had surgery, and they're all now 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 they're Jewish. But right, 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 you, you know that right? That's that's the that's the. That's the joke. Why do they make them all have circumcision before that? Before, be, before they kill the whole city? Because now a bunch of Jews were killed, so now there won't be any UN uh, investigation. So now all these guys have circumcision. They're all sitting around saying, oi, this hurts me, and so on. Now they all speak Yiddish, because now they're all Jewish men. And, uh, and all that Yaakov expected to happen was that then they'll go in, take Dina, and these guys are yelling, oi, 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 so, but what are they going to do? Now they're Jewish men, they can't even fight anymore. And he didn't expect them to go in and to wipe out the whole city. Which means, Yaakov was there when, when they tell them this, and Yaakov knows that they're going there, which means why then is Yaakov so surprised what happened, is because that the, the wisdom that they used, which was justified by saying, oh, you want to marry her, then circumcise. But they didn't expect them to do that. And once they did that, then Yaakov was saying, listen, you, you, you can't do that. If people want to join us and people want to have the circumcision, we want to go, but nonetheless, we know what's going on and that they're using this as some kind of a ploy in order to end up taking over our possessions. So let's just see what else we can possibly do before, uh, before, it, it, before we finished. Okay. There, 
And this is great because now we get to skip all of these and I want to move over because I really... It's a lot. It's a lot that we're skipping. There's actually one midrash that I really want to come back to. And we're going to read this, the sequence. I can't decide, but we'll read the midrash first. It's in source 18, but it's also... It's in source 18. No, we'll read 17. We'll read 17. 17 is the Gemara. It says... It talks about somebody goes to Shechem, and this is when the, the, we have the division of Malchut Beit David and then Malchut Yisrael, and it happens in Shechem. Tana Mishum Rabiosi. By the way, notice, I, I say this all the time. One day I'm going to write a book with nothing in it, just sources in it, and show you all the times that the name of the person who says something is somebody who's intrinsically related to the thing. Rabbi Yossi, it's not a coincidence, because it's going to talk about Yosef in a moment as well. Whenever you hear Shechem, it's going to be scary. It's a place which is prepared for terrible things. In Shechem is where Dina got abused. In the environs of Shechem is where Yosef was sold. And in Shechem is where the kingdom of David fell apart. The source in 18 tells the same thing from a slightly different perspective. But whenever you hear Shechem, I'll say it again, I said it before, that that's when the ominous music needs to come in the background. But there's something else which is going on over here, which I think is the larger issue, which I want to focus on, because maybe we didn't notice. Yaakov goes to Shechem, and where does he go after he finishes in Shechem? So now we'll have to very quickly find that. Yaakov then continues on, and he gets to... He go, Afterwards, God tells him to go to... Debate L. I'm just looking where, where in the world I have this. Yeah, that was in source number four. Right after Shechem. Now that actually, he says, but why? Because he gives a reason why. What's the reason? Because that's where you made the vow. So for us, we got fooled. How did we get fooled? God fooled us. Why did God, how did God fool us? Because Yaakov comes into Israel, he comes to Shechem, he makes the real estate deal, then he goes to Betel, but why does he go to Betel? Because God told him to Betel, and because we had a reason for it, then we didn't bother thinking. Because something else is going on over here, which I think we completely miss. And that's what I want to come back and I want to point to. If we look at source number 16, end of page 5, this is Lech Lecha, this is the very beginning. And where does Yaakov go? But he ready goes to Eretz Canaan, Vayavor Avraham Ba'aretz Ad Makom Shechem. The first place that, that he gets to is Shechem. So now realize there's a parallel. The first place that Avram goes is Shechem. And what happens in Shechem, right? Vayirah Hashem el Avraham Vayom Lazarecha Atinat Aretz Azot. Right? God then, he has this revelation. But then he moves from Shechem. You're going to have children. By the way, we now realize that when Yaakov comes, he goes right to Shechem, and he buys Shechem. So in Yaakov's mind, what is he doing? He's, he's following the footsteps of Avraham. He's doing the same as Avraham. And over here, we have this assurance. You're going to have descendants. And now Yaakov has these descendants. Yaakov has his children and has his family. But there's this flip side of having children. 
And what's the flip side? It's called tsar gidul banim. That sometimes involved in this, there's also some pain. But what happens next? Where does, and this is what we all missed, where does he, where does he go next? V'yateik misham ha'hara mikedim le'beitel. V'yeto ala beitel, right? V'yivin sham mizbeach la'ashem. V'yikra b'shem Hashem. The first place that he goes and builds a mizbeach is in beitel. So now you realize, because I, I was going to say again, we completely missed it, that God says to him, go, Go to Eretz Yisrael, right? He go, go to Canaan, he goes, he goes to Shechem, he gets this blessing, then he goes to Betel, builds the Mizbeach. What the, happens to Yaakov? He comes, he goes to Shechem and purchases some of it. So now he's made a Kenyan in Eretz Yisrael. He has it, he owns it, and specifically Shechem. Again, I can imagine Yaakov's mind. This is the place he needs to go. This is where Yaakov you know, had his first footsteps, as it were. And then where does, Yaakov, where does Avraham go first? Immediately afterwards, and built him his beach, he goes to Betel. What does God tell him to do? Go to Betel and build him his beach. So now you realize this is not just some, it's not just because of that. It's actually why you have to do it. But there's something which is a little deeper, which is play, take, taking place over here. The, the thing that I wanted to add, which was the epiphany quarter to five in the morning, the, the, the other verses that I wanted to add, is there something else in this week's parsha, and that's in Periklamid Vav. Vav, which you don't have in front of you, and it says, "Ve'yikach esav et nashav et banav et benotav et kol nefashot beitov et mikneu ve'et kol behemtov ve'kol kinino." Everything that he has, "Ve'yelech el eretz mipne Yaakov achiv." He leaves because of Yaakov. It's the same thing as the Avraham Lot story, and if you're not convinced of that, "Ki aruch Hashem rav mishevet yachtov." There was too many of them to live together. "Ve'loyach eretz mugreim l'seito tam mipne mikneu," and they couldn't stay together. "Ve'yeshev." And he leaves. So now Yaakov is left. So there's one more thing that we need to, uh, to perhaps keep in mind. But first look at Rashi in Source 20. This is where, Av, this is where Yaakov in Parshat Miketz, he, he, he mentions Kel Shakai. And look what Rashi writes. Shakai, Shedai, May God have compassion on you. Say enough of my troubles. That from the days of my youth, I keep running from one problem to the next. Tsarat really can add Esav. Tzarat Lavan, Tzarat Esav, Tzarat Rachel, Tzarat Dinan, Tzarat Yosef, Tzarat Shimon, Tzarat Binyamin. And by the way, going back to the beginning, we can blame Yaakov for every single one of them. Well, right? We, 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 we can blame him for the way that he treated love, sorry, treated Esav, which caused him to have to run away, and then he deserved what he got, perhaps, by Lavan, because that was payback for what he did to Esav. You can blame him for what happens to Rachel, because he's the one who opened his mouth, sorry, and he said, you know, whoever you know, took these things you know, should not live, and Rachel took the trafim, and therefore she dies. Tzarat Dina, he never should have hid her away from Esav, because this is his fault. Tzarat Yosef, he never should have favored one of his sons, and given him special clothing. Tzarat Shimon, how are we going to blame Shimon? We're skipping Ruvain. There's also Tzarat Ruvain, because he never should have favored Rachel, and they never would have this situation. And uh, finally, if you will, Tzarat Binyamin, it comes back also because of the favoring of Rachel, which essentially we can blame Yaakov for everything, but I think that's a wrong read on this. I think the right read on this is Source 21. 
And, and, and this is what we have to remember. Yaakov came back to Eretz Yisrael. And what does the Gemara say? Tanya. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer. Shalosh matanot tavot natana kanesh baruch Yisrael. V'kulon lo natnan eli de Yisurin. Elohein Torah v'Eretz Yisrael v'olam abba. And that Yaakov, as I said from the very beginning, is Yisrael. He is the Jewish people. And receiving spiritual gifts, sometimes there's a pain. And we all understand this like in terms of exercise, right? No pain, no gain, and so on. But in the spiritual world, this is true as well, that sometimes there's prices to be paid in the spiritual world for things. And one of the things that Rav Shemu Yechai stresses is Eretz Yisrael as well. Eretz Yisrael, that there is a price to be paid. And Yaakov is experiencing that. Yaakov comes back to Israel, and episode after episode after episode is taking place, and every single one of these things that takes place is actually a Kenyan in Eretz Israel. It's an acquisition of Eretz Israel. And I think the strongest thing for me is that that's how he starts. He knows this. He makes the acquisition in Shechem. I have to acquire Eretz Israel. And Hashem then seems to be turning to him and says, acquisition of Eretz Israel is not a simple thing. And, you know, we, you know, where we live right now, we, we understand this. You know? it, I don't know when all of you came, if you came last week or a year ago, five years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but we really need to go back to, the, to 200 years ago. You need to go back to the Tamidi Hagra. You need to go and, and to realize how unlikely it was that they were going to survive that the situation was so dire, it was so difficult, and there were earthquakes and there were plagues and there was, and there was attacks by uh, the neighbors who were very unneighborly, and the odds of our surviving were just minimal to nothing. And somehow, somehow, at some point, the land came and, 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 and took us back. But unfortunately, there's been a price which has been continued to be paid, and every time there's a price, we, 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 we look at it as a korban, as a sense. And every time it happens, we pray, and we say to God, may, may this be the final, final, final price that we have to pay, with deep understanding that that is actually part of requiring something which is very precious, and sometimes the price is uh, extreme. And now you realize that's what Yaakov's going through. He's acquiring Eretz Israel. And acquiring it is difficult and it's hard. But, yeah, but that, that's what takes place over here. And that's essentially, I think, really, I don't want to blame Yaakov for everything. I said it's very easy. That's what I said in the very beginning. I can also be an anti-Semite and blame the Jews for everything. But it's just not true. What's taking place over here is gaining something which is spiritual, has a price to it, and that's what Yaakov pays. And we end up being the beneficiaries of every single thing that happened, but we need to have great appreciation for every single one of the sacrifices that have taken place along the way and pray with you know, utter conviction that there won't be any more sacrifices that need to be paid.